don't mind, subscribe to my YouTube channel. I'm trying to build it out a little bit here. YouTube.com slash training for ultra. I just uploaded a new video called Attempting Lead Man. It's going to be a mini series just covering my races and just really appreciate the support. All right, three, two, one. Hey, Becca Jones here, also known as BMFJ, ultra runner and ultra event director of the Mid-State Mile and Tennessee Mile here on the Training for Ultra podcast. If we could just free ourselves of our perceived limitations and tap into our internal fire, the possibilities are endless. I'll tell you about it when it happened in the race, but to be honest with you, it happened even before the race. It happened in the training. A great cause. Oh, thank you. I respect that, man, so... Keep doing what you do, it, man. Keep inspiring. For all you kids out there, stay safe and stay strong. Hey, everyone. It's the Train for Ultra podcast. We've got Jurek here. I was physically totally wrecked. I, I had nothing left. I figured I might as well move as quickly as possible towards the finish line if I was going to be moving towards it anyways. How do you even do that? I decided if I could finish a 50 miler I could probably run across the country 100 miles is not that far Welcome to episode 170 of the Train for Ultra podcast my name's Rob I also go by Training for Ultra we have a great episode we have Becca Jones on she is the race director of the Mid-State Mile going on right now. Big thank you to Patreon supporters if you're interested patreon.com/trainingforultra closed facebook group access you know we get to chat interact a little bit more you get the early previews of episodes and hopefully we'll line up a zoom call here just for patreon supporters but just couldn't do this without you guys and croy of exoskin reached out and he's like hey you know um interesting episode idea would be chatting with becca jones just because he was aware of the race i think exoskin supports that this was a fun episode. I, I really didn't know what to expect. Becca, throughout the episode, really showed she knew what she was talking about. And obviously, she's an experienced ultra runner. So hopefully, you enjoy this episode. And I don't think many people have chatted with her quite yet. So, uh, And the Mid-State Mile is taking place right now. So um, definitely check that out. I know they're really trying to boost their YouTube subscribers. And... Speaking of YouTube, check out youtube.com slash train for ultra. I just put out a new, I'm putting together kind of a mini series. It's going to be no film crew going to be made for YouTube, but it's going to be a mini series called attempting lead man. And I just threw episode one out there and it's going to be exclusive to YouTube, but uh, pretty good reception right out of the gate. So hopefully you know, after my Leadville marathon here, and I'm not going to share too much on the podcast. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll have some updates for you there, but I am probably going to run the most painful marathon of my life. I don't think, I don't think I cracked a rib, but this is really like the closest feeling I, I would surmise that you know, it feels like uh, my sternum and rib in one specific spot, maybe the cartilage gotten torn or something, but it's been super painful for two weeks now. I chatted with a doctor friend of mine and he agreed x-rays. I mean, 
yeah, there's just nothing you can do. Even if you crack the rib, you know, it's not like knowing that will change anything. So for now, I'm, I'm going to be, uh, just holding off x-rays and again, it's, it's in the episode, check it out on YouTube. If you want to know some more of the background there, but big shout out to exoskin. They not only, you know, connected me with Becca and came up with the idea for the episode, but I will be wearing all of their gear. Their toe socks is what I prefer to race in compression leg sleeves. Now they're underwear and I might put a compression shirt on to help with uh, my chest, but I'm not sure yet. We'll see how that goes. But yeah, big shout out to Exoskin. You know, if, if you're wanting to try them out, feel free to use my promo code, discount code T, the number 4U20. And it's worth 20% off now. It might change over time, but um, definitely check them out. Becca, thank you for joining me. Really excited to talk to you. You seem like you're not only gaining traction and, and really doing some really cool ultra races, but you're also directing up and coming races and this seems to be a big part of your life. So thank you for joining me on the train for ultra podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is really exciting. I'm really glad to be here. So really quick, since I think we have kind of a, a overlapping, uh, sponsorship here, Exoskin, is that someone you're an ambassador for? Is that correct? Uh, yes. And they also sponsor both of our races. They are incredible. I love their gear. And Croy is just such an amazing guy. Uh, love that company. I didn't know that uh, they were sponsored by, or you guys were sponsored by them. Yeah. We, I mean, I think uh, it's probably one of the very, I think I might have been the first podcast that they backed. And Croy's been a huge supporter of everything training for Ultra. So. Plus, I, I have to wear toe socks during races, so there's a pretty <laughs> limited group to talk to. No, but their their technology, um, their fabrics are like some of the best, as you know. Oh, um, yeah. Is, is there a product that you like have to use at your races? Uh, the toe socks and the shorts. I mean, and the shorts, I think, are such a game changer for sure, especially for the longer stuff. Yeah. I started using the underwear. Only time I'll ever talk to someone about my underwear. Um, <laughs> that underwear is comfortable. Uh, John is also an ambassador for him. And he, um, that's my boyfriend and also co-race director. Mm-hmm. And he loves those things. And they're so soft. I'm so jealous <laughs> that he has I those. I, I mean, I, I feel like <laughs> it's you're not too far off from having the, the female option there too. Um, what... Do you have any other brands that you're supporting or let's get those out and then let's, let's talk ultra running. Uh, for the people that support us, we, you know, we've really, uh, got a, I don't want to say like a small group, but good close knit family of like athletic brewing and, uh, mad tasty has been super awesome as well. And, uh, salty britches, like those are really our go-to guys who have been just avid supporters of our races. And obviously exo skin, those mm-hmm. are, those are home team people right there. <laughs> That's awesome. So, I mean, let's, let's dive into your background. Where, where are you from? And I want to hear about how you got into ultra running. I know you just completed. So kind of teaser here later in the episode, <laughs> we're going to talk about the cruel jewel. And then you're putting on these races now, you're an RD and you're doing coaching. How did you 
get into ultra running, where are you coming from? Um, so way back in the day, I did track and cross country. I was originally a basketball player. I played basketball from fifth grade up through my junior year. The track coach saw me running and asked me, he's like, do you ever get tired? I said, no, I don't get tired. <laughs> and I said, you can come run track. And I was like, well, I can use it for conditioning for basketball. And uh, ended up falling in love with the sport. And after I graduated, I ran on occasion, did some trail stuff. Never really did. Or I didn't race trails. I didn't know there were trail races. So let me correct that. You know, I knew there were 5Ks, 10Ks. I didn't really like road racing. So no competitive running. But uh, my buddy was turning 30 and we were day drinking. And he was like, I want to run an ultra marathon for my birthday. And I was like, that sounds awesome, dude. Let's do that. How far is that? He was like, 31 miles. I was like, <laughs> All right, let's go. Like, let's let's do it. So uh, we started training together, and then he had to move for work. And I got on the interwebs and Googled, you know, ultra running in Nashville, found a training group, signed up with them, ended up running my first 50K, about died, because I had never ran more than a half marathon and or, you know, on trail, never even on the road, honestly. And, uh, Ended up mentoring in that group and found I really loved coaching people and helping them run ultras. And I uh, I actually ran my first 100-miler in a 200-mile attempt. Actually, both my first 100-milers were in 200-mile attempts. I basically went from 50K to ran 100K to – I ended up DNFing mm-hmm. my first and second attempt, but ran like 131 miles. So doubled the distance. I wasn't sad about that that's that i mean <laughs> that's an all or, or nothing type mentality i mean and there you you talking about drinking and going for a run i mean i was like flashback to like carno's like dean carnassus's <laughs> book like he's just at a bar and decides to go run for i don't think he's stopped <laughs> since um and so I mean, why did you fall in love with the sport so immediately like what what about it was bringing you back every day um yeah I really love pushing myself uh back when I was in high school I wanted to join the marine corps like that was in my head that was like the hardest branch of military and I wanted to find my physical limits I ended up not doing that for multiple reasons and at the time they didn't women or they didn't let women do like all the cool stuff. So I was like, mm-hmm. well, that's dumb. I pretty much just wanted to go for boot camp and to do hard things. So I guess like, you know, once I got through where I started pushing further distances, I realized that I had to like start kind of tapping into stuff that I'd never gotten to use that I always felt was there, but I never knew healthy ways to pull that out. And being out there in the woods at two o'clock in the morning and for hours and hours on end by myself was really just kind of a meditative state. So that's, that's how I got roped in. <laughs> so while you're running, you're not, your, your mind isn't just like constantly chattering. You're, you're able to kind of separate your, your physical and mental states and, and meditate. Yeah, uh, more or less. I mean, in the beginning, a few miles, I'll, you know, have some thoughts and my brain will kind of be going. But after that, you know, it's it's kind of just smooth sailing unless there's a low and there's some stuff you have to fight through. But I don't have a whole lot that goes through my brain. I don't listen to music 
when I run every now and then on some training runs, I listen to some motivational stuff, but that's, I like to just kind of be in it, taking the sounds and be in my own head. That's, I mean, that's, uh, that's like a military <laughs> way of doing it right there. <laughs> um, and so you did your first 50 K hundred K like what's, what's this time difference between your first 50 K and then signing up for a 200 miler? Um, so I did a 50 K in May of like 2015 or 2016. I can't really remember. It's probably 2016. And then the next year, August, I attempted Bigfoot 200. So just a matter of oh, probably about a you year. Went, you went for Bigfoot? <laughs> yeah. Oh man. <laughs> Yeah, that was, it was what spoke to me. It gave me butterflies. It seemed just on the edge of, you know, what I knew physically I could do it. Like I knew that I could, I dreamed about it. I could visualize it. I could see it. I could feel it. Um, I ended up tearing a tendon on the top of my foot around mile 80. Like I said, I dropped it mile 131, but that was, that was the one that called to me out of all the things I, you know, I was never drawn to the hundred mile distance. I never looked at a hundred. I said, I never wanted to run a hundred. I went straight from 50 K hundred K to I wanted 200. I mean, is that not the most stunningly beautiful, <laughs> like 130 miles you've ever run? Like, oh, is that not was... like just hands down crazy beautiful? It was so insanely gorgeous. And that was my first trip out West. Uh, I went by myself, like the whole entire thing was just magical. And that course climbing Mount Margaret and that desolation zone, like mm -hmm. it was heaven just taking all of that in. I mean, I was left stunned throughout that entire course. How'd you hurt your foot at mile 80? Um, there was somewhere going towards, oh, I can't remember the aid station, but there were these rutted out, uh, dirt bike trails yeah and the some of those ones yeah the really deep ones yeah. and it was the off camberness of trying to get down in there and get through those you know and being newer to ultra running like i didn't have those years of you know those hardened sucked. muscles those so, sucked i don't oh. <laughs> yeah they did <laughs> they were pretty awful and uh, yeah. And yeah, I just didn't really realize what was happening at the time. I think I probably maybe would have stopped and try and tape it or do more, but my knowledge of ultra running stuff was not, you know, super deep at that time. <laughs> it was more of a, well, this sucks. All right, keep going. God, that is painful. And then eventually it got to the point where like my foot wouldn't move and putting any pressure on it was just, it was bad. <laughs> I came out of those. I was so excited. Cause I was like eight stations, two miles down. I kicked, I came out of those rutted sections, those mountain bike or motor bike tracks. Yeah, those like dirt um, track things. Kicked a rock. Like I made it all the way through there. Just, <laughs> like, Are you kidding me? I'm two miles. I'm ready to take a nap, get some food. Um, so what, what was your takeaway from your, your first attempt at kind of this unimaginable difficult course and distance um my takeaway i would say was i guess that i have more to give and i really wanted to find a way to pull that out honestly afterwards i was really uh irritated i was like really because i felt great i wasn't sore 
I was fine. Um, you know, I felt like I prepared well and, um, mentally I felt like I was good. Honestly, I was kind of just frustrated with how it came out. I don't, (laughs) what, what was the follow-up to this? What was the second 200 miler you went for? Um, I went out to Potawatomi and I love that race. And that was, um, my next 200 mile attempt. And it ended up being like crazy cold and like muddy that year, though, which it's always kind of muddy. It doesn't really matter. But I did like the first loop or two and I came back in and told the girl that I was with, I was like, with this mud, I was like, there's no way, there's no way I can get 200 miles out here. I can't move fast enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, all right, like 150 is the goal at least. Like we go as far as we can. We've got all the time. We keep going. And uh, I ended up having this, it's like an anaphylactic and allergic reaction to the cold. Uh, it's called like urticaria or uticaria, some crazy name. I'm not sure. But I ended up with all these like hives and rashes all up and down my legs from the cold because it got down to like nine degrees that night. And I'd never experienced anything like that. But there were these huge just whelps. And every time the wind blew or like my pants moved on them, it was just like someone taking hot lava down my legs. And uh, I got in the car that night, I think like mile 80. So I told her, I was like, I can't keep doing this. Like my legs were swelling up from it. I was like, we'll do 100. I can do 100. I'll get it out till then. We stayed in the car through the coldest part of the night, and then I got up and finished that morning, but I had never experienced anything like that or knew anyone that had and ended up finding out, like, I don't do really well in the cold. So, yeah. I, I've uh, truly, I've, uh, I've had that moment of, like, my legs don't function correctly. Like, I... And not pain like lava is going down them, but <laughs> I mean, trying to balance electrolytes when it's freezing out is so hard, especially when you have like all the airtight, like warm clothing on and you're trying to balance things. It's just, you're sweating, but you're freezing. Mm-hmm. It's so hard. Yeah. It's, it is something else. There was, um, it's a couple of years ago at Grindstone, I ended up getting hypothermia really bad. I did not change my clothes before I went out and I was way ahead of schedule. Anyways, long story short, um, you know, I tried to balance that back out. I ended up getting hypothermia so bad that <laughs> I got uh, AFib. <laughs> By the time I got back to my crew, like 30 miles later, I mean, my lips were purple. So I ended up dropping it like mile 70. Yeah, I think like 70. And I remember I was like, I got to my drop bag and I was trying to put on warm clothes and like my fingers wouldn't work. My body wouldn't work. And I was like, you know, if I can just balance this out, like if I can just get warm, if I can just get some fluids in me, if I can just get something warm and all of that was in vain, the cold is my mortal enemy. It's interesting because people are either like, you know, the heat or it's the cold. It's rare that you have an athlete that can just handle everything. Yeah. So you, you keep kind of learning as you're going here, maybe the hard way, kind of like me. (laughs) I mean, I, I don't know of any other way to learn. Honestly, I have to just experience it. And when Mm -hmm. I mess it up bad, I rarely mess it up the same way. Um, (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, I mean, is that just a personality 
trait that you've you've always had you're just going after it and you can pick yourself up off the ground and keep keep pushing i would say so uh I definitely learned things the hard way. That has kind of been how it's always gone for me. And the thing for Grindstone, that which was funny, like as we were packing, like John's packing myself, he's like, you're bringing a lot of warm stuff. And I said, I can't get cold. I cannot get cold. My body does not function in the cold. So I, I brought all these warm clothes, but I was in like second place when I came through to him and like moving really well, like two hours ahead of schedule, felt great. I did not factor in, I had in my packing the eight mile climb <laughs> and that I needed to change and get in dry clothes. Cause we were going into some of the colder parts of the night and I just didn't, I was like, Oh, I'm feeling great. And not thinking like, Hey, you need to be dressed for the next 30 miles. I will not make that mistake again, but yeah, I, uh, I learned things the hard way. I've got to screw it up a good time or two before <laughs> I figure it out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that's a hard race. I've, I've heard about that. Um, it, yeah. I didn't think about the cold aspect of it, honestly. I thought more about, like, the terrain and the climbs than I did the actual, like, temperature. Yeah, the temperature was what got me. I loved the terrain. I, I did love that, but I love to climb. Anything with big climb, I am into it. If you're like, hey, you got to climb for the next, like, 6 to 20 miles, I'm like, yeah, let's go. I can climb all day. See, I so that was. I, mean, I go so through I'm periods done. where I'm craving climbing, and I go through periods where I'm like, "Can I just have like some runnable? Like, I just need a flat <laughs> mile to like reassure <laughs> yeah. myself. I still know what I'm doing." Um, yeah. Like, where did you pick up the desire to climb? Because I mean, Bigfoot, two, forty-two thousand feet of climbing and two hundred and six <laughs> miles. It's not something you typically go after, like prior to a hundred miler. Um, uh, like, did you grow up? Like, is is the region of Tennessee that you're training in have some mountains? So it has some really good hills. You know, our our little one mile course has 340 feet of elevation gain in two 20 percent grade climbs. So oh. when I was tra- when I was <laughs> training for uh, cross country, I had a real advantage on the hills because I would have to do hill repeats on these 20% grades <laughs> at home when my mom would make me train. And, uh, I found even then I always loved hills. I've just always been able to power up them. And they, I think it's something about the mental aspects that I really enjoy. Like I've always said, no matter how tired I get, I can climb <laughs> like that's, and I, my climbing, when I first started in training, and trails and ultras sucked. It sucked so bad. <laughs> I remember the first time I went to Frozen Ed, we climbed Bird. And I looked at like my friends and I was like, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but there's a fucking mountain back there and it sucks. <laughs> like and They're all like, oh, hey, welcome to Frozen Head. It was like mine and like Liz Candy's first time out there. She's like, making it look like it's, you know, an easy jog. And I was like, I'm going to die. I have got to learn to get better at these things if I'm going to do this stuff. And I, I started working on it. I mean, isn't that where John Kelly was born? <laughs> right there on the mountainside. <laughs> um, yeah. Wait, yeah. so so tell me about this one mile loop. Um, you said it had 300 and how many feet of game? 40. <laughs> 340. That's yeah. a hell of a 5K. 
<laughs> yeah. Wait. So uh, is is this is this um and we'll just switch into this for now. I mean, is this the Midstate Mile course? Is this the Mile uh, from yeah, Hell, or I, I don't even know all the nicknames for it. <laughs> we uh, so it is our what we deem the Murder Mile course murder that mile. we put on. Yeah, Murder Mile that we uh, put on Midstate and the Tennessee Mile on, and it is. It is brutal. It's an old logging loop. They logged it back when I was like in middle school, I think. And it's it's only two climbs, but they are. They are 20% grade and they go straight up. There are no switchbacks or anything on this course. So it's, uh, it's a pretty intense little thing. <laughs> and tell me how you got into race directing. Was it out of... I mean, were you coaching people and then, you know, trying to give them places to run and then you had enough athletes, it's like, okay, let's all meet up and try to do this event or tell me how you got into race directing. Uh, so, you know, COVID was bad for a lot of people, but for me and my friends, it was honestly a game changer. It really opened up a lot of the doors and the how all of everything got started. So the Midstate mile came about by the parks were just overrun with people. It was absolutely insane, crazy busy. And I was like, well, you know, we got this like mile loop out of my parents. Like, I guess we could like clear that and like run out there. So John and I spent a couple weekends getting everything together there and cutting some branches and stuff. And told our friends we were like, Hey, if y'all want to like come out and run, you know, we got a place and you don't have to deal with the crowds at the park. So they came out and did a loop. We're like, that's intense. And they're like, you should do a race out here. And I was like, I mean, Oh, I can put on a race. Like that's cool. Oh, sorry. Are you there? Yeah. Okay. Are you okay, like, no, I, I can, I can throw a party. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, for sure. Like I'm down. Uh, and we did a lot of volunteering and I helped my buddy who puts on the races for Hardwind adventures, John Harden. So I'd been very up close and seeing kind of how everything goes. And then, you know, he'd show me a lot of things. So I, I was feeling confident. I was like, I can do this. Like, all right, sure. We'll do it to heck with it. So we, uh, you know, decided what format we wanted to do. John's a big believer in the last man standing. That's his favorite form of races. He doesn't run them, but he's just always been fascinated by them. So I was like, all right, we'll, we'll do that. And it, you know, it's just a mile. So cool. And no one else seems to have anything that is this intense or just a mile last man standing. So that'll be unique. So then we sat down and made a list of like people we would want to invite to run to, you know, get some people that aren't just the people we hang out with <laughs> and run with. Sent out invites. I got it set up on Ultra Sign Up, and then we went live with it. And then Chad Wright uh, reached out and was like, hey, Beck, you got to tell me about this race you're, you're putting on. <laughs> I told him, he's like, I'm really intrigued. He's like, me and my buddies, we want to we want to have like a little competition between us. We want to come out and run. I said, well, y'all got a place. Come on. <laughs> I did not know his buddy was Jesse Itzler and Mark Brown <laughs> <laughs> at all. I, I had no freaking idea. But I was like, yeah, man, come on. Like it, it's going to be a good time. 
And, you know, we reached out to Greg Armstrong and, you know, Greg said he'd come out and run. And we were really excited to see how Chad and Greg would do against each other. Cause we felt like they were pretty evenly matched. And then, you know, race day rolled around. Jesse starts doing all his recording after he drops. And then next thing you know, just magic starts happening. People are showing up at my parents' house saying, I see this race on Instagram. I just realized it was up the road. So can we hang out? We're like, yeah, come hang out. Like, we're just running through the woods and drinking beer. <laughs> like, I love it. It's old school, yet it's like a brand new race. Like, and you got a billionaire there to help with, you know, some social media. And Jesse's yeah. an awesome runner, too. So he... Oh yeah. He probably gave it a good effort and Chad Chad's a good dude. He's yeah. you got a, a SEAL Team Six guy on the ground. <laughs> like, jeez. <laughs> I mean yeah. and so did it just blow up? Like, did you all of a sudden find yourself trying to control like uh like all the social media and, and all that that was taking place? Yeah, the two weeks that followed were just insane because the video so the video of Chad and Greg, it, it ended up getting on um, Mountain Outhouse and, you know, got a ton of exposure on social media through Jesse and Chad stuff. It reached like two million people. It was crazy, the outpouring of messages and emails and, and texts and people that we had met there. So it was really important to us to follow up with every single person that reached out. So those next I love two it. Weeks I love were, it. No one, like, no one does that. It takes so much time to get back to each person. That's so it, it cool does. to hear. <laughs> it does, but that was so important. I mean, every comment on Facebook, every comment on Instagram, like we were so grateful for the love and support that I, I just don't understand how you can't not take the time to say thank you. You know, like it's, it's just so important. And I think that's just, it's so good for the universe, the collective and what you're doing to, to put that love and gratitude out there and say, thank you. Like you took time to see what we're doing. Like, thank you. And, uh, yeah, those two weeks following it were insane. And even this year, like before Barkley, I was talking to Greg and he was like, you know, like, he was like, mid-state gave me so much confidence and reassurance. He was like, what I accomplished there, like, I will know. It, it, part of that came from that mid-state experience. Uh, maybe I'll yeah. throw mid-state in as some, <laughs> you know, as part of the schedule for uh, for next year. I know it's coming up pretty soon, right? Uh, yeah, June 19th. So here in a couple weeks, we're just, what, probably nine or ten days out from it. So it's, yeah. Yeah, it seemed like a lot more work than it was last time, just putting a race together <laughs> so, on a whim. So, like, for maybe the listener tuning in, they're like, what the heck is this race that she's talking about? Like, what what is the 101? Like, what is, what's the objective here? And then, like, why is this an exciting format? So, it's... For mid-state, it's a last man standing. It's a 1.1-mile loop. Two climbs, 340 feet of elevation gain, no switchbacks. The climbs are insanely steep. We have It's a 20-minute time limit for each loop. So if you you know come back in with 19, or at 19 minutes, then you have a minute to sit, hang out, grab whatever. Or if you come in with 30 seconds, you know, 
you got your 30 seconds, then go on out. But if you come in after 20 minutes, you're cut. And it's, it's pretty simple because it's, it's just a mile. And you're like, it's a 20-minute mile. A lot happens in that 20-minute mile. And uh, we came up with the 20 minutes. One, it's easier to track for you know three miles an hour. And my, she was 11 at the time, but my daughter walked it in 21 minutes. And she is not a runner. So I was like, okay. <laughs> Runners should be able to do this in 20 minutes. Like, and, and you can. It's really easy until it's not. And that's the beauty of the race. Like, And it gets in your head because you're like, it's just a mile. You can always do like just a mile. And it's it's so magical watching people go through that process. Like, There's something about this course that just – and the atmosphere that draws this magic out of people, I guess. I, I don't know a better way to put it. We had more people – PR their distance, their time on feet, vertical gain, or run their first ultra marathon in mid-state last year than we ever thought. I mean, I think it was like 20-something people because we offer award, we do awards for PRs for any of those. That's awesome. If you, if you come to that course and you do something you've never done before, we give you a personalized award. <laughs> like, I don't know if anyone else says, I'm sure other races do, but it, it's just really cool to see people do that in that format because there's no, there's no time to work through those lows, you know, like you got to be on it. And typically in an ultra, you know, if you have a few bad miles or dark miles, like no one sees it, you can kind of hide it, you know, you're by yourself, but right there at mid state, like it's in front of everyone. Like you, mm -hmm. you can't hide it. So that's, uh, were, were you able to reach out to Laz to see if it could be a qualifier for his big annual or um, is, is it competitive I, against Laz? Cause you guys are probably pretty close by or. Oh, I don't think it's competitive because they're two different beasts for sure. You yeah. know what he does is so different from what we're doing, but um, one of the guys that runs it and then we're friends with, he's pretty tight with all of them and he had brought it up and I, what we gathered was, Laz would let like probably who won be someone he would consider in because mm -hmm. of what that takes. But because it's a, such a different format that it, you know, wouldn't be a qualifier. Okay. I would love if we could like, if you do a hundred miles on that course at which a hundred miles on that course is 33,000 feet of elevation gain. Um, <laughs> and we had Chad and Greg come up just short of a hundred and I think this year we'll go at least 120. So I'm really excited to see like closer to 40 hours on that what course. They, what they need to do is just like, all right, you did 100 miles. Like here, you're on SEAL Team 6 or you're on SEAL Team 7 <laughs> or, you know, wherever we need some fill-in coverage. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> so for the listener's background, what is this course? Like, so this is all – and again, I, I keep finding myself talking to people that – during COVID actually figured out some really positive type things for themselves and created positive things for the community. I mean, this is all private land, right? So yes. you have a, you have more flexibility and I mean, how did this first event actually transpire? Uh, so, you know, all the races were getting canceled and, obviously the parks are, are sh shutting down and not letting anyone do anything. We lucked up because 
the land that we hold it on is my parents. It's where I grew up. It's been in my dad's family for like 200 years. Like the neighbors are cousins. They all had shared the farmland forever. So they couldn't enforce COVID restrictions on private land. And Governor Lee also issued, it was some special decree or whatever, that there was no limit on how many people you could have gather if it was a wedding, a funeral, or a reception. So I was like, okay, we got to figure out like something, something like this. Like how, how can we put this where it's like a wedding? And me and a couple of our other friends were riding up to Frozen Head to go do a training run. And we were talking about the race. I was like, yeah, I, I know we can get away with it, but like, I really just, I don't know. From a legal standpoint, I really want to have all of our you're, ducks. In you were putting the pressure on John, weren't you? Your boyfriend. Oh, no. no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> we made. We talked about it. We were like, I mean, if that's what we got to do for the race, like, we'll do it, whatever. But our buddy, uh, our buddy Keith, he was, you know, engaged, and him and his now wife were gonna just go do a courthouse thing and he's like well you know shoot we've been looking to go ahead and get hitched COVID kind of messed everything up you know we'd go to the courthouse get married and heck we'll do that for the race if you want it's like uh yeah like that's the most solid friend thing like bro bro thing you can do is go get married for someone in their race so he was yeah all right we'll do that sent me like a copy of like his wedding certificate and marriage certificate all that whatever and uh so the race was his wedding reception. So if there were any issues, that's what it was. And under the ordinance that the governor passed, there was nothing that they could do. Did you so. have a wedding cake there or no? Uh, we didn't do a wedding cake. Okay. We did lots of wedding decorations. That should we, be a uh, tradition, I would think. <laughs> Offering you know, wedding maybe, cake, right? You would think. We, we should have done that. And we honestly didn't think about it until like that morning. They're like, oh, we should have got a cake. But we decorated his tent with like bride and groom stuff. We had signs coming up the road. And a bunch of our friends, they we got them bow ties. And they were like the groomsmen. So they were running in bow ties. That's That's crazy. I mean, how many people showed up? I mean, was it exceeding your expectations? So we capped it at. I think 70 and we let 75 run just because we weren't sure how much space we were going to have. I mean, the trail's incredibly wide. It, you know, it's a basically a Jeep road mm -hmm. width, but, and then we widened a bunch more spots. Like you can run four or five wide in, in a lot of these sections. So we just didn't want people to be crowded with such a small time limit. Yeah, that which we ended up having no problem this year. We're going to do a hundred. We are a little curious as to how that extra twenty five really plays into things, but I think it'll be okay. And so, I mean, last kind of race directing question is like: is do you do only two races, or how many races do you do, and will you end up expanding? Uh, we do two currently out there right now. Uh, we have the Tennessee Mile in December, that which is a timed event. Mm -hmm. For those people that just aren't into that last man standing or that 20-minute you know, restraint, this year we're actually opening up a 36-hour on that course so that people can have a shot at 100 miles. Cool. So that's, yeah, I'm really excited about that. And we hope to expand and do some stuff. We've been talking to our buddy John Harden for Hardwin Adventures about teaming up and doing some stuff and 
maybe looking to do a 200 mile or a hundred mile or somewhere else. Um, right now we're just trying to get through this one and then we're like, all right, yeah. <laughs> we need to like, we need to look around and find some stuff that would be really cool. Awesome. Yeah. A training for ultra challenge sounds great to me uh, at oh. some point. Um, <laughs> I like that. So you're still running while you're figuring this out during COVID. Tell me about how your training's going. And then I got to hear about Cruel Jewel 100 because that's, that's not an easy race. It's kind of a notorious race. I've, I've honestly, I've had it on my radar a long time. Uh, my sister lives in Atlanta, so it's always a good excuse to go visit family and then also try to squeeze in a race. Uh, so throughout, and then, which I, I love Cruel Jewel. I'll start off with that. I love that race so much, but, um, throughout like COVID, my training was okay. I didn't really have too much on the docket because we didn't know what would be canceled, what would not be. So we still ran out there and really do a whole lot. I ended up doing Georgia Jewel 50 miler in the fall. But, um, you know, I had done Cruel Jewel 100 a couple years ago and it took forever. That race fell apart so hard and it was like 41 hours and I was traumatized. I had run the 50 a couple other times out there and fell in love with that course and the difficulty of that race. And I think that it is just such a journey. So it was really, I was really excited to get back out there this year and, um, you know, see what I could do out there. Cause I was like, I know that that 41 hour finish should not happen again. <laughs> and I have, you know, my murder mile. So I had good training ground, but to be honest, getting ready for it. Like I did not run a whole lot of miles. I really focused on overall strength and just a, not that I had an unhealthy lifestyle before, but just getting as healthy as I could, um, trying to be feeling my best. Uh, you you cut, you cut back to only six pack or no, I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, I'm yeah. kidding. Sorry. <laughs> well, no, I, uh, I actually gave up drinking for, you know, a few weeks or months, like here and there, just, just out of curiosity. Cause I felt so much better. It will change um, everything. It really will. And yeah. you know, I had not been as healthy as I was. I hadn't been that healthy or as healthy as been, uh, since I was a sophomore in high school. I mean, I was a bartender for 16 years, like, and, you know, trail running's full of fireball and cold beers. And, you know, I said, but I just really want to try like going at this, no alcohol, really eating healthy. I clean houses. I have my own cleaning business. So throughout the day, I'm like wearing resistance bands. I'm wearing ankle weights, like anything I can do to strengthen my body as I, I walk around on my feet throughout the day. I'm, I'm trying to do so my mileage leading up to Cruel Jewel this past year was only about 15 and a half miles a week. So not what? high mileage. What? That's <laughs> awesome. No, I, I think I think there's something to be learned. Like, because people, they think, oh, Yo, you're running a hundred miler. It has X amount of vert. Like you're on the stair climber every day, all day. You're putting in hundred mile weeks. And it's like, if you put in really high quality workouts and then combine that with like what you're doing for a living, 
you're going to see results. Like you don't have to be <laughs> doing stupid training that will burn yourself out essentially. Do you, yeah. I mean, do you not agree? Oh no, I agree 100%. And that's, you know, that's my biggest thing in coaching and being an endurance coaches, not running junk miles. You can run a hundred miler and knock it out of the park on 40 miles a week. And I believe that your body will recover better because you haven't beat it to crap beforehand. And that's what a lot of people do. They run this high mileage and I've done it. I, I've done high mileage. I've done low mileage. You know, I would, I still want to find my sweet spot that which everyone has one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that they overdo it and then they don't take care of themselves. You know, you go for a long run, you run 20 miles with your friends, then you go and eat a burger and fries and drink two beers. And I'm not saying that that's like detrimental to you, but you know, if you run 50 extra miles a month of just crap and then you don't properly refuel and take care of yourself, like your body's not going to feel strong. It's not going to feel like it's firing on all cylinders. Yeah. So, no, I totally agree. Um, I think I was doing like 50 miles a week for the triple crown of 200. So it, something right around there, but it was all very, very high quality stuff. And mm-hmm. my eating was super clean and on point. How how did your diet change? Like, how did you clean up your diet to get prepared for Cruel Jewel? Uh, well, John was very much on a chicken and lettuce kick. He's like, we're chicken and lettuce. We're going to eat really clean and healthy. And, uh, you know, he was kind of dieting or whatever. So really just real foods. I tried to stay away from anything that was processed, really staying away from you know, the alcohol was the biggest thing and mac and cheese and pastas and stuff, just trying to keep it as real food as based as possible was the biggest thing for me. But, uh, yeah, and I don't eat a whole bunch of junk anyways, but I could definitely tell a difference in, as opposed to having toast in the morning with, you know, avocado or something, we would do eggs and avocado and like berries, like just really trying to get down to just real food. So I mean, did, process. did recovery happen quicker because of that diet change? I think so. And my longest runs I'll say for cruel jewel. So I was going out to run Potawatomi 100 and me, he was doing the 50. Neither of us were into it. Neither of us said anything like, my focus was cruel jewel and I'm a big believer in visualization and imagining your race and how you're going to react to everything. I have a whole process that I like to go through for that. And I had not done any of it for bottle water. I was like, I just love this race. Let's go play in the mud, like whatever. And we got up there and then John ended up quitting. And I was like, well, I don't want to be out here for 30 hours. That's dumb. Let's go home. Like, I don't even want to run anyways. So I did 40 miles out there. Um, well, that's like 20 miles. I focused on my hiking that, which that's another thing I think people really neglect in their hundred mile training or 200 mile is hiking. I think they do a lot more for 200s, like, cause they know they're going to hike, but people for hundred mile training just really, I feel like skip that step. I and I totally believe in, agree. yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> And I I believe in working on your walking pace. Like we went to the greenway, we went to the track and it was, all right, walk three or four miles, like get it down to like, you know, a 15 or 14 minute mile. That was like the goal. Like if you can walk a 15 minute mile, you're doing pretty darn good. So 
I used like 20 miles a pot for that. Cause I was like, all right, well I'll see what my hiking pace is. And then I, the following weekend I paced my buddy for his first hundred miler at double top and did about 30 miles with him. And I think I, I did music city ultra 50 K that has about five, 6,000 feet of elevation gain. And so that was 31 miles. I did that back in March. Those are like my three longest run slash hikes gearing up for cruel jewel i i'm really happy you brought that up because it's like humbling saying like oh like i'm going to be hiking 14 15 minute miles that's typically when it's pretty (laughs) flat you throw in some vert and it's a 20 minute mile but Mm -hmm. i mean for hundreds and especially 200s if you can crank out three to four miles per hour maybe during a lower point in your race you're still making progress and all of a sudden you just covered eight miles that someone else is just still back by the campfire mm-hmm. trying to wait for things to turn around when you can still be making making up ground you know oh absolutely i and especially in those 200s and i think that that's another thing too that rocks people and they end up dropping at that like mile 70 80 of a hundred miler because all years well now i'm just walking 20 minute miles okay cool you keep walking, man. Like, get up. That's it, still progress. It and takes think- 45 minutes for your body to reset sometimes, you know? Like, mm-hmm. it just, you never know when it, if it's going to reset quick or sometimes it takes a while. It Absolutely. There's a lot of patience involved. And I think that that's something else that gets neglected a lot in training. Like, people expect on race day to just all of a sudden have all this patience and that everything's just going to be great. And like, you know, they can just flip that switch. It's like, well, in training, did you practice? Did you do activities or races that required patience? Did you practice that? Because you're going to need that on race day. Like when your stomach is unsettled or your legs aren't working, like just because you put electrolytes in there, it can take two hours for you to feel a difference on that. You know, salt works a little bit quicker, but you spent hours stressing your body and throwing everything out of whack. Like it doesn't just flip a switch and go to it. So practice the patience it takes to turn things around. I love it. I, I truly, I, I, I preach the same thing all the time. Um, and so how were you feeling race day, you know, day before cruel jewel, were you feeling excited, energetic, ready, prepared? Are you ever prepared for a (laughs) hundred? You know, I was so stoked. I was literally on cloud nine going into it. And I'll say I was a little nervous, like slightly, like a few weeks out, like I ran music city and I knew I didn't have the miles on me. I knew I had not been logging the mileage that I should. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to go out and run and see how close I can get to like next year or the previous year's time. And I came in within like, I think five minutes of the same time that I ran it the year before. And the year before I was logging a lot of miles and doing a lot of strength work. And I was like, okay, well, I guess that's a pretty good indicator of where I'm at. That should be, that's like a little confidence builder. And then, you know, John and I were talking and I was like, I mean, what do you, what do you think about my plan? He's like, well, I don't really think that you're in better shape than you were le- last time. He's like, I mean, you log more miles, like you're you're physically better, but he said, I just I don't know. He was like, I think you can, I believe you can do it. He said, whatever you're gonna do, I know you're gonna do it. Well, I'm going out to win. I said, I think I can podium that race. 
And that was what my visualizations were and the time I'd kind of like factored in. So I was excited going in. I was like, all right, it's going to be a good day. I had visualized my lows multiple times, how I was going to shake those off. Like before the race, I was dancing in the parking lot. I was skipping. I was in, I was just ready to go. I was like, you know what? I've already done this race 500 times in my head. Let's go. It's just a day in the woods. We're going to have a blast. And <laughs> I, I lucked up and I, well, I mean, yeah, I got lucky and I had a really great day. Everything came together. I picked up my buddy, John Harden, who does, you know, like I said earlier, Hardwind Adventures, and he's got a couple FKTs to his name. And I knew he was going to be exactly what I needed to get me through that last 50 and not let me let off the gas. And I was shooting for 30 hours on that course. And I thought that that would be, I would be really proud and have a really good day. And he kept beating that drum and kept pushing me. I mean, I was still, I was running 11 something minute miles at like mile 74. Like it, it felt great. We were having a good day. We got back to Skeena with, you know, 20 to go a little before noon. I did not know this because I did not look at my watch. I didn't even wear a watch the first 25 miles. Um, I was just going by feel. And I was like, oh, I thought it was like two o'clock in the afternoon. And I was like, all right, hand me my headlamp. I'm going to need it. And they're like, no, you're not. And I was like, yes, I am. It's like two o'clock. And they're like, you don't need your fucking headlamp. Like, you're get it's you're going to leave Skeena before noon. And I just started <laughs> bawling. I was so happy. I like realized that like my goal was within reach. And I was like, this is the most perfect, amazing day. I love you guys so much. This is my dream race. It's coming together. Did, I mean, <laughs> so did you trying to think here? I'm, I don't edit my podcast. So I'm staying focused a hundred percent. Um, I mean, did you have low points? Like, was was there any, like, massive low points? Or were you able to take that gel that, like, kicks you out and, you know, puts you back on, on track? Or did you have any kind of, like, prolonged down period? Uh, I never had a, a, a low, honestly. I was... I was pretty stoked throughout the whole thing. Um, my biggest mantra was comparison is the thief of joy. And I stayed focused on that. So there were a few times when me and this girl were battling back and forth for third, like kind of started to get in my head a little bit and then kept myself in check. And I think if I had let it get in my head, I would have got a little frustrated then. But, you know, that last that last 20, I had a couple like dips in energy and my legs stopped bending. I could not bend my legs. I went to like try and go to the bathroom and my legs would not bend. And I was like, Oh, so this is where we are now. So now we just kind of like shuffle hike along and I wear Tiva sandals when I run <laughs> and I did, you know, 80 something miles of that race in them. I was like trying to pick my feet up and not, you know, nail my toe while my legs wouldn't work. So I did have a couple times where I was like frustrated with the downhills that coming down Kusa and when your legs won't bend is less than pleasant. John was like, how did you train your quads for this? I was like, honestly, dude, I really didn't. And it really hurts. I was like, I did not log a lot of mileage. I told you I was super ready for this. And I was, but 
<laughs> oh, I don't. I was not ready for this situation how that did happened. You, how did you train for this? Honestly, I didn't. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and for the past few months, I was like, "Are you ready? Are you ready, Jack? What's your training look like?" I'm like, "Yeah, buddy, it's on point." It's I put great. in 15 last week. I'm ready. Yeah, I'm ready to podium. I, <laughs> yeah, I got this. Like you don't even know, man. I. <laughs> it was did, and i didn't tell him till that moment i was like yeah dude i did not run a whole lot like <laughs> i bullshit you <laughs> so hard because <laughs> i did not need you down me <laughs> um did you put your watch back on after you started balling you know 25 miles in you're like way ahead of schedule did you end up actually putting a watch on or were you like this is going so well i don't need a watch during a race like this is silly um, so I actually started without it because I forgot it. Um, okay. <laughs> I forgot it. We were like driving. I was like, oh man, I was like, I forgot my watch. I put on a jacket, totally forgot to look at my wrist. And John's like, I'll get it. So then they gave it to me at Skeena and I put it on, but I never turned it on. I didn't even turn it on until I left out of like Will Scott. So it may have been closer to like 30 miles when I finally turned it on. And I really just used it as like a heart rate monitor. Mm-hmm. I'm a big believer in heart rate. And, and train a lot to that, especially when I do higher mileage, you know, not like I did on this one, but, and just to kind of see like what my climbing time was, but you know, it was too much to like try and do the math and go, I have 28 miles on my watch. I put it on it. And I was not doing any of that. I was <laughs> like, all right, let's, you know, that's why you have crew, that's why yeah, you have crew. <laughs> just to do math for you mainly. Yeah, and yeah, you know, Harden was really great about that, but he was also really tired when he like showed up. Like by the end, we were quite in the pair. <laughs> he was I mean, he did amazing, but he just um you know, I always tell people like you gotta take care of yourself. If you're gonna pace, you gotta make sure you get sleep. You should not be up as long as the runner. Well, Harden like drove down and then I, he confused his time for some reason and then he didn't have time to take a nap. So he had been up for like 30 something hours by the time we finished. <laughs> he was, was like, hallucinating worse than you by the end. Oh yeah. We were both like, I, as long as I was moving, the halluna- hallucinations yes. didn't bother me. Like they were off to the side and usually it's audible stuff. Like I hear kids chuckling or it's, it's it gets weird and creepy carousel music. I hate it. I can't stand it. But Ooh, that is creepy. <laughs> yeah. That's really creepy. No visuals though. Uh, not typically every now and then I'll have something, but this time it was visual and it was, if I took my eyes off the trail, I would start to see stuff. If I just stayed focused on what was in front of me. And then a couple of times, like when I sat down at the aid station, it was full on stars. Like my eyes were so tired. It looked like an Instagram filter, like the little sparkly ones. Yeah. Like at one point I just stood up. I was like, I can't, I was like, I got to move. I was like, if I stop moving and focusing on moving forward, I, I can't, I'm just seeing shit. I was like, I can't do this. I got to keep going. Did, <laughs> so did you have any, any other visuals while you're out there? I just, I'm always fascinated. I, so for me, I'm exactly how you described it. And I don't know if I've ever said this before, but if, if my pace wasn't moving fast enough, I'd start bonking. Mm-hmm. So I had this weird, it was definitely at Kettle 100 with Tommy Byrne, where like, if I couldn't move fast enough i would actually bonk so it was like this weird struggle of bonking needing energy to to run fast enough so i didn't bonk it's like catch 22 anyways yeah 
Um, no, that's that's crazy. That's really interesting. I mean, were you so if you didn't run fast enough, you'd be seeing like weird stuff, hearing weird stuff. Yeah, I would catch stuff out of the corner of my eye and like, yeah. you know, seeing stuff like scamper through the woods that I knew wasn't there. <laughs> I was telling her, I was like, I know that's not anything over there. I said, I don't know what it is. I see something moving. She's like, yeah, I just saw something like right there in the middle of the trail. And I was like, yeah, yeah, we're quite the pair. This is this is fun. We're really <laughs> taking care of each other. Right I mean, you now. ran you ran Bigfoot, so you know, like you come out of right around mile ninety, like through these woods, and mm-hmm. like I had the worst Halloween hallucinations where it was full blown like like I was watching, I don't know, Goosebumps. I was seeing the weirdest <laughs> stuff on trees, like walking around me, like things sitting next to trees and it was obviously not real it looked like it was a halloween decoration but it was just so weird oh yeah i and i know what section you're talking about and it's so funny because in that like stretch so i saw this lady i could still see this lady plain as day i'm telling you i could describe her to a sketch artist tomorrow it was this lady in like a purple shirt some white shorts some like tall suit tube socks and it was like an older lady that had on like this hiker looking hat anyways i was going down the trail like i said this was out of bigfoot i'm going down the trail and i say to her oh excuse me sorry i was like stepping off the trail to like go around her i looked and nobody was there (laughs) i was like oh that's creepy yeah i mean i because at first i was like oh where'd that bitch go? I was like, where's she? Oh, I was like, Oh no. I was like, Oh, you need a nap. And I like yes. falls down yeah. facing the way I needed to go and set my alarm for like 15 minutes. But that was like the one that was just like, Oh my God. I felt like I could have touched her. She I, was there. I would. Yeah. I, I, at Bigfoot, I had the same thing. It was like mile 70 ish, 75. I saw a guy in a lawn, a lawn chair, what like <laughs> sitting back drinking a beer <laughs> Um, in the woods, like I thought he was just like, you know, somewhat like I thought we were close to the aid station and it was just someone's like crew just enjoying watching the race. And then like, oh. I look back and it's just a bush, but I'm always, I'm like creeped out. Cause I'm like, is that a ghost or is that a hallucination? Cause when you get so bonked out at the end of these races, like if you're in a historic area, yeah, who, who knows? <laughs> It's it's true. The, one of the funniest things, uh, my buddy Harden was doing the FKT for the Ozark Highland Trail, and we were like finishing up the last few miles. You know, he'd been up for like 50, 60 hours. He did not oh, sleep the entire gosh. time. We're going along this like, we're on this road. There's like a creek to our right, and it's just a big rock face that we're going alongside. And he was like, Bex, do you see how cool that stonework is? Like, that's the coolest building I've ever seen. And I was like, dude, that's a rock wall. And he's like, no way. And I was like, yeah. And he like went over, like was about to like touch it. He's like, oh my God, that's okay. That's like. <laughs> Walk me through the finish line because you're. I mean, at any point, did you think you were possibly going to win or like, was the lead female out too far to catch and you were just trying to hold on to second or walk me through like that last mile or, or three into the finish line? Um, so, you know, Liz was running. She ended up dropping. The girl who won was this girl named Sheila. And I don't know where the heck Sheila came from, 
but that girl was on a mission and it was impressive. Like, um, her and I were running together in the beginning, kind of leapfrogging back and forth for the first few miles. And, you know, she was, you could tell by the way she talked and carried herself, like girl had game. She was experienced. She knew what was up. She was in it to win it. You're like, all right, cool. I don't know you, but I respect who you are as a human being out here for sure. You're tough. And then her and Liz kind of went back and forth and she ended up passing Liz, I think right before the turnaround or afterwards. And they looked really good. I saw them on like the little lollipop deep gap and I pat Liz was still in the lead at that point. I passed Liz and about two minutes later, Sheila comes barreling down the trail. And I'm like, good Lord. Like the look in her face, like she was out for blood. This girl was running Liz down. And I was like, Oh my God, it is a matter of time. That girl is fierce. And I was like running my little loop and joined up with a couple guys. It was kind of eavesdropping on their conversation and the guy said, well, when I started this loop, there were two other females entering. And I didn't know if the guy was on like loop one or two of deep gap for him. Like if he had hit the turnaround, I didn't bother asking. But I knew one of those girls was my friend Taylor. And I paced her to second place finish at no business. And she can move in the later mile. So I was like, crap. All right. Well, one of them's Taylor. And he was talking about the other girl. And he said, the other girl, Kat, she's really awesome. This is her first hundred miler, but she finished Moab 240. And I was like, oh, in my head, I go, I know what kind of mentality that takes to run a 200 miler before you run a hundred miler. Girl's legit. She's a freaking stud. Crap. I'm going to have to run. <laughs> I was like, you know, hit the turnaround. And I saw Kat was probably about 15 minutes behind me. Taylor was probably closer to 20, 25 at that point. And me and Kat went back and forth like she was killing me on the downhills and I was catching her on the flats and hills and so we bounced back and forth from the loop deep gap loop to Stanley gap I guess because she came in about 10 minutes after me into Weaver Creek and she's like girl you're crushing us like you too like we keep bouncing back and forth keep it up like you know we high-fived or hugged whatever and so good luck seeing a little bit. And then on that road section, I put about 25 minutes between us. And then by you the end, you just put your I head got, down and ran. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> and that road section, and I told Harden before, I said, that road section eats my lunch. Like it sucks the soul from my body. I hate it so much. It's always the worst spot. And we were running like 11 and 12 minute miles through it. Which and feels like I, six or seven, like when you're on that much vert oh, and then that much mileage. Oh yeah. Right? And I had, oh yeah. And I came out of Weaver Creek and like sat down at Stanley Gap and like at our, at the aid station slash our cruise stop. And I didn't put a blanket over me. So my legs were really cold and had tightened up. So having to try and run when my legs were still like, I'm cold and I don't want to do this. So I'm going to let you know about it really sucked. Like, it it took a lot of like mental and heart's like all right come on i'm like i love you but i want to tell you how much i hate you right now i know you're doing this for my benefit i was like but i am so angry with you but i love you (laughs) 
And it was funny, like we hit a mark on that road. I was like, okay, I just want to walk for two minutes. Like the mile clicked off and it was like 11 something. I was like, two minutes, give me a walk break. And right then my boyfriend, John comes pulling up. I mean, we hadn't even taken two steps. He goes, why are y'all walking? <laughs> I was like, literally, we just like, I hadn't even took my third step. He's like, uh-huh. I was like, I'm serious. But anyways, so um, going towards the finish, like, you know, I knew they were long gone. And once I knew that I'd put enough space between me and uh, there was enough space between me and Kat, I kind of could breathe a little bit. And Harden was still pushing me pretty hard. Like, all right, come on. You know, we got to go. We got to da da And I was like, you know what? If she catches me at this point, she's a stud and she can have it. Like, yeah, I, I feel like we did a good job putting space between us. I mean, we still didn't like let up, but it, I was, I was really hoping and I hated that Liz dropped. I genuinely did. But I, in my head, I was like, okay. I was like, maybe she'll stop battling me for a podium and she'll just be okay with third place. Like maybe she's like, yeah, third's good. Becca moved to second. Like it's fine. And we can just like call truce. <laughs> It's competitive up front. I'm really glad I'm middle back of the pack because I mean every all the all the physical mental aspects of ultra running are, are obviously up a rung up front, but then you have this added element of like all the gamesmanship and uh just like all the mental games that I mean, yeah. it's not like you're mentally after 30 hours, 31 hours, like really wanting to play, but yeah. And, and I, it's a lot. <laughs> it is, it is. And I'm say, um, you know, in track and cross country, I was always up front, but it's never been in me to, I never want to be the rabbit. I've always been that way. Like I was anchor leg on the four by eight. Yeah. I love chasing people down. That's what I enjoy doing. I do not enjoy being chased. You know, it's a whole different level of anxiety. And I don't like it 100%. Nice. So, well, I mean, you had an awesome race. So huge congrats on second at a incredibly difficult race. <laughs> I mean, you. it was awesome hearing about all these kind of behind the scenes stories. And I mean, we could chat for hours and hours. So stay in touch. Um, 2022 who knows mid-state mile maybe i'll i'll try to do something really stupid in 2022 yeah. uh but where where can people follow you on social media i want people to um stay engaged with you and then you have your race that you're rding coming up here in 10 days yes uh on facebook it's just becca jones might be Becca MFN Jones, but I'm pretty sure it's just <laughs> Becca Jones. Uh, and on Instagram, we have the, our at Midstate Mile. That's mainly our events and that. But and then I'm Lil Becca B on Instagram. You can also follow me on Strava as Becca MF Jones. Uh, I'm only on Strava so that I can name my runs super inappropriate and dirty things. That's the only reason. It tickles me, but people I'll have enjoy to start following. following. <laughs> I mean, that's just inter that's that's entertainment value right there. So yeah, when I see people at race, they're like, "You're the girl with the Strava," and I'm like, "Yeah, that's me." Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, we had to hide that from our children. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, like, yeah. Thank you, Becca, for taking so much of your time. I mean, I only hear good things about you, your boyfriend, the races you guys are putting on. And just, yeah, I'm excited to chat and get to meet you. 
And yeah, thanks again for joining me on the uh, Train for Ultra podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This has been such a treat. I'm looking forward to catching up after the race. And that was episode 170. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Big thank you to Becca Jones. Again, she's really trying to get people onto her YouTube channel, so check that out. Big shout out to Exoskin. Really appreciate their support. Thank you to all you Patreon supporters. I love behind the scenes, Facebook, our closed group there, our conversations, and you guys get sneak peeks at episodes. You've already probably heard this one a week ago. But thank you guys for all the support. Again, this uh, this YouTube video gives background on kind of the buildup until Leadman. Yeah, it's going to be a painful marathon. That's all I can say. But really appreciate it. And don't forget to enjoy your training. Have a great week.